All of the Indians are dead. A good Indian is a dead Indian. We're riding in motor cars. The whale lands, you know. They're all rich. Smoke starts my eyes. Cottonwood twigs and buffalo dung. Smoke gray in the teepee. Or is it myokic trachoma? The prairies are long. The moon rises. Ponies drag at their pickets. The grass has gone brown in the summer. Or is it the hay crop failing? Pull an arrow out. If you break it, the wound closes. Salt is good too, and wood ashes. Pounding, it throbs through the night. Or is it the gonorrhea? Ernest Hemingway, Oklahoma. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the America of America podcast. As always, I'm Will Milam, and uh, let's get started. Ernest Hemingway has made his way back into the news lately. Uh, There is a three-part PBS documentary series done by Ken Burns of baseball and Civil War fame uh, that has been very popular. There's been a re-release of uh, the documentary's edition of the collection of Hemingway short stories that I've seen in a couple of bookstores. So uh, after my law school finals, I sat down and watched these uh, this this three part um, documentary series. I thought it was quite good. Uh, I'm an avid reader of Hemingway literature myself, and I decided that this actually might be a good opportunity to dive into one of Hemingway's uh, most enduring works that actually sets place in Oklahoma, which is his famous early early short story called Soldier's Home. And if you've never read Soldier's Home, or if you've ever read, uh, or if you've never read Ernest Hemingway at all, uh, that's okay. Um, it, it's not a, it's not crucial that you be a Hemingway fan to to keep um, to keep pace with this episode. Uh, but also, Soldier's Home is available online, and it's it's a very short story. It's about five or six pages, single spaced with uh, big lettering. So if you wanted to just pause this episode here and read the story, it'll take you about maybe ten minutes. So if not, uh, you know, I'm not going to give away any massive spoilers, even though there's not a lot of massive spoilers to give away. But uh, so if you want to do that and pause this episode right now and then pick up with us uh, in a couple seconds, that's fine. But if not, we're just going to go full steam ahead. So for those of you who are slightly familiar with Ernest Hemingway or not familiar with Ernest Hemingway at all, Hemingway is considered to be one of the great, great American no- authors and novelists, well, American author, poet, journalist, uh, writer of nonfiction of the 20th century, uh, famous for being the first American casualty in World War I. He was an ambulance driver and got hit with some shrapnel. And uh, those experiences would really define him uh, throughout his life. One of the reasons he's so enduring is because he himself lived an incredibly noteworthy life. I wouldn't say good or happy or respectable, but memorable in the truest sense of the word. And he would basically come out with a a blockbuster novel after another, even though he did have some duds in there, if you're talking about uh, stuff like Across the River and Into the Trees. But most of his novels uh, in his lifetime were good. 
Uh, and he was also revolutionary in creating a very new kind of minimalist prose that was not that was new and different from the uh, the the prose that came before. Um, think uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald with the the very very flowery prose, and then uh, even though Scott Fitzgerald was also a modernist writer, but Hemingway's style was truly modernist in a way that Fitzgerald's was not. Fitzgerald's topics were modernist, but Hemingway's topics and prose was both. Sorry, I digress. Anyway, but before Hemingway's first great novel appeared, which was, of course, The Sun Also Rises, Hemingway was trying to get his name as a writer while he was living in Paris with uh, his first wife and their young son. And one of the first uh, books that Hemingway was able to publish was Stories in Ten Poems, which was published in 1923, which is technically Hemingway's first published work. It's it's largely forgotten now. Actually, the only reason I mention it is because the poem Oklahoma that I read in the cold open of this episode was in that collection. But the first real piece of Hemingway literature came out in 1925, and that was a collection of short stories called In Our Time. In Our Time uh, was modestly successful and modestly well-reviewed uh, in contemporary days, but contains some of the some of the really good um, uh, or the short stories that we uh, consider masterpieces um, of early Hemingway literature. And among those is a short story called Soldier's Home, uh, which is the topic of today's episode because Soldier's Home takes place in Oklahoma. I first read or probably more accurately listened to a reading of Soldier's Home when I was in middle school English class. Um, uh, our, our classes uh, when I was in middle school were complementary of each other. So if we were in history class learning about one period of American history, we would be reading literature in English class from that period. So it was actually interesting how it synced up. And I remember when we got to the interwar period between World War One and World War Two, and we were talking about the uh, the the cost of the first modern war and the psychological cost that it that it played on the survivors of that war. Uh, one of the stories that we read was this story, and that's important because Soldier's Home centers around a young man named Harold Krebs, who was in the United States Army in World War One but who didn't come back immediately after the war had ended. He stayed in Europe. He was stationed in Europe for a little bit longer actually than the war actually ended. So he returned a little bit later. And by the time he gets back, the great uh, parades and the honoring of the of the soldiers who came back from World War One has really passed. That Krebs has missed out on that. So he kind of comes back to a more normal or as normal as it could be possible post-war American life. And the story really shows Krebs's inability to adapt to a normal life after going to war and seeing what he saw as such a young man. Krebs is just kind of going about his day almost as a zombie. He'll go to pool halls to beat the heat. He'll sit on the porch and read. He'll look at the pretty girls, but he doesn't seem to have much ambition. He doesn't seem to have much motivation to go and get a job. He doesn't seem to have much motivation to go and do anything. His parents start to notice this. Uh, it Hemingway makes a big deal out of he was never allowed to bother borrow the family car before the war. And then his parents uh, make a big deal where it's like, Krebs, if you want to take the car out in the evenings, you can now and that's okay. And 
Krebs doesn't really believe them, but it's it's just kind of a microcosm into uh, into the life of a uh, of a of a World War One veteran, especially one so young. And like I said, the reason that I'm talking about this story today is because the story takes place in Oklahoma. But it's a little bit harder to dig in from there because Hemingway doesn't tell us which town in Oklahoma that the story takes place in. We do know that at the beginning of the story, Hemingway tells us that Krebs was a student at a Methodist college in Kansas. And at the end of the story, uh, we're told that Krebs is going to go probably look for work in Kansas City. And we're also told that Krebs's father reads the Kansas City Star, which obviously is a major newspaper and also a newspaper that Hemingway himself worked at. This would lead one to believe that the setting for Soldier's Home might be somewhere in the northeast of Oklahoma. So somewhere maybe in the Tulsa metropolitan area. Uh, when I first read this story, I always pictured it as taking place in Claremore, just because uh, in my head, everything takes place in Claremore. That's possible. Um, I think that you know it might make sense because Claremore or anywhere in the northeast of Oklahoma is close to the Missouri and the Kansas border. And obviously, if Krebs is going to a school where preferably he needs to take the train or if he needs to take a car to his Methodist school in Kansas, that Krebs would be closer to the border. So I, I always picture this story taking place in northern Oklahoma. Hemingway, for what I think, probably just doesn't even care where it takes place. I, I think he probably just picked Oklahoma out of a hat or just as a state that borders Kansas and Missouri. Who really knows? I have seen some uh, interpretations of the story, especially the name Krebs, as being uh, kind of about... Uh, I honestly, if I say this out loud, I think it sounds ridiculous, but I mean, some people have maintained it that uh, the name Krebs is uh, play on the word crab because crabs have shells and that the entire point of the story is that Krebs is building a shell around himself because of what he's experienced in the war and that the name means that he is closed off from the world. Might be it. Hemingway just might have randomly picked the word Krebs, but Another interesting thing is that Krebs is the name of a town in Oklahoma. Uh, in kind of east central Oklahoma, you have a town called Krebs. And I don't know if Hemingway had ever heard of this town, and I really don't think that the town of Krebs had much uh, to do with uh, Soldier's Home, but I do think that Krebs is actually a pretty important town in Oklahoma uh, for a couple of reasons. One, it's got the best Italian food in the state of Oklahoma, and two, it's got some of the best beer in the state of Oklahoma. And the town of Krebs is actually a good conduit for not only the story, but the real story of Hemingway's experiences in World War I himself, which really should inform, in my opinion, about how we read the story. So though Krebs is situated fairly centrally in the Choctaw Nation, Krebs is famous for its Italian-American population. Uh, this can be testified to not only because of the large amount of Italian restaurants and good Italian food in this, in this city, but the fact that one of the first brick buildings built in Krebs was a Catholic church, which is important to note because Oklahoma, being in the Bible Belt, has a kind of a long history of of anti-Catholic sentiment or anti-say uh, Catholic immigrant sentiment. So it was an interesting fact that the one of the first major churches built in the town was a Catholic church, uh, testifying to the large amount of Italian population to the city. Why this matters for Soldier's Home is that Hemingway himself, and 
you're going to have to take my word for it, but it's most of Hemingway's stories are in a way autobiographical or not, if not strictly autobiographical, that some of the antagonists, excuse me, the protagonists are kind of a romanticized vision of Hemingway himself or Hemingway as he wanted to be. And you really see this later on in his novels, but in some, do you see this to some extent in the short stories too? But Hemingway himself, when he was in World War I, he was not a soldier, but he was a ambulance driver for the Red Cross, but he was stationed in Italy. And he came to love the country, and he actually came, uh, came back with hopes of marrying a, uh, a nurse. She was, a, she was an out, uh, allied uh, American nurse who nursed him back to health after he uh, was uh, near an explosion that uh, ripped through his, uh, his legs and feet. But when Hemingway got back, uh, Hemingway had a very different reception than Krebs did. So Hemingway was from a suburb of Chicago, so he was in Illinois. And when he got back, he was actually a minor celebrity before he even started writing because he was the first um, American casualty. He also uh, became well-loved amongst the Italian-American population in Chicago. So there is kind of a draw there between Krebs, Oklahoma and its Italian-American population and the Italian-American citizens of Illinois who really loved Hemingway and made Hemingway part of their their tradition there for a couple of years. So to this point, we've established the, the biographical connection between uh, Krebs and Oklahoma as being a town of largely um, Italians or Italian descended people, whereas Hemingway's experience going back to Illinois was being well-loved amongst Italian-Americans because of the time that Hemingway spent fighting with the Italian army or fighting, quote-unquote, with the Italian army in Italy. Uh, depends on who you ask. If you ask Hemingway, he was fighting. But there is another slightly deeper parallel between Krebs and Hemingway, uh, the character Krebs and Hemingway in A Soldier's Home, and that has to do with Hemingway as a liar. So when I first heard this story when I was a middle schooler, it was very much focused on the disillusionment that Krebs just cannot come back to normal life because though his home has not really changed, he himself is forever changed. He is not the same man he was when he left and he can never be. And he can never really come to grips with the fact that he will never be the same man again. Krebs tells his mother that he does not love her. Krebs cannot kneel and pray because Krebs has been totally disillusioned by the war. Um, when I first heard the term lost generation can, being told about these writers, I literally thought that lost generation meant someone like Krebs, someone who was, who was just so destroyed by the war that he, he couldn't function, that he was literally a lost person. Now, uh, obviously, I come to realize that that's not really what Gertrude Stein meant, so it became a little bit of disabusing uh, for, for me of that notion. But it, it still hangs with me a bit. But again, we have to move on to the other uh, element of Hemingway's personality in Krebs, and that is the habitual lying. So the second time I read this story was a couple of years back after I'd read some Hemingway and after I'd read some biographies about Hemingway, and I understood the author a little bit more. And what we've come to understand is that Hemingway had a very complex personality. 
And Hemingway had a very complex personality about himself, or he had a very complex view of himself. Uh, Leslie Bloom, uh, a couple years back, wrote a really good um, history of Hemingway's first novel, The Sun Also Rises, and the story about how that novel came to be in the writing process. Uh, Mary Dearborn, a couple years back, also wrote a very good one-volume biography of Hemingway. But it was actually a lesser-known biography that I think helped me see this story in perspective. And that was Richard Bradford's biography called The Man Who Wasn't There. As contemporary culture has become, has come into its zeitgeist, it's become very popular to to critique and to hate on Hemingway's works. Um, Obviously, Hemingway, for a lot of people, represents a kind of uh, machismo that that they're not really fans of, or Hemingway himself, you know, is the the machismo man who's uh, chauvinistic and narcissistic, and uh, a lot of that's actually true. Uh, But so anyway, it's become more and more common to to be very critical of Hemingway, the man. And Richard Brad, and so we've seen that in a lot of a lot of the biographies that have come out in the last few years. But Richard Bradford's uh, "The Man Who Wasn't There" just was a straight up critical biography, and and kind of makes the claim that you know not only was Hemingway a a just kind of a terrible person, which he was, and I think that any true account of his life would say that he was not really a great guy. Uh, that he was also a habitual liar, and he would make a lot of stuff up. And one of the stories that Richard Bradford tells in his book is that a lot of the medals that Hemingway came back with from Italy that he would show off to the Italian-Americans in Illinois and made him kind of a minor celebrity, Hemingway never actually won. Uh, And kind of the story goes is that after the war had ended and Hemingway was in Italy and he was, uh, and Hemingway also was very good at getting himself into circles above his station and thereby rising that way that Hemingway was talking to uh, an Italian nobleman and was basically making up stories or he was telling stories of the war and he was putting himself in the footsteps of other soldiers. And he was talking about all these medals that he had won. And the Italian nobleman, I guess, asked, well, you know, do you have them or can I see them? And Hemingway, you know, covering his bases said, well, no, I lost them or something, 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 and, and making up some excuses. And then that Italian nobleman was able to, uh, to I think, go to the king of Italy and basically say, yeah, hey, I met this guy that won all these medals and uh, he's lost them. Can we give him some replacements? And then they just gave Hemingway the replacements. And then Hemingway went back to the United States with a bunch of medals that he did not win. But why is that little tidbit important for Soldier's Home? Why, why is that important for the story? Well, that's because Krebs kind of does the same thing when he goes home to Oklahoma. So I'm just going to go ahead and read from the second page of Soldier's Home, So, uh, or this should be a couple of paragraphs down if, you're reading, down if you're reading it online. His lies were quite unimportant lies and consisted in attributing to himself things other men had seen, done, or heard of, in stating as facts certain apocryphal incidents familiar to all soldiers. Even his lies were not sensational at the pool room. His acquaintances, who had heard detailed accounts of German women found chained to machine guns in the Argonne Forest and who could not comprehend or were barred by their patriotism from interest in any German machine gunners who were not chained, were not thrilled by his stories. Now, not sure if those were the exact lies that Hemingway told when he went back to Illinois, but I think that it's a good representation of what Hemingway ended up doing with not only the people back in Illinois, but with, you know, some pretty 
high-ranking and important people in Italy, is putting himself in the footsteps of other men. And I think that in a way, kind of the disillusionment shown through this story, because this story came out in the mid-20s, and by this point, Hemingway is married and has a child and is living in Paris and is trying to become Ernest Hemingway, that there might be a little bit of guilt shown here, I think. But no matter how you interpret it, uh, this story, like all of Hemingway's writing of short stories, really makes for a great reading. And uh, though I don't think it can give you a great comprehension or understanding of any particular part of Oklahoma history or culture, I think it can give you a good understanding of the post-World War I culture. And if you've been keeping up with this podcast, you know we've, we've been talking about that a lot between talking about um, the death of Charles Milam with the Musée Argonne Offensive uh, and obviously the the African-American and white World War I veterans who came back and who were in Tulsa during the Tulsa Race Massacre, or even the Oklahoma National Guardsmen, World War I veterans who were involved in the Red River Bridge War, that this all comes together for a greater story. And in a very tangential way, Ernest Hemingway, great novelist of the 20th century, plays a part in that. And I think that that's cool. And I like to bring those things together. And with that, we're going to end there today. Uh, I uh, I hope you've enjoyed my, um, I'm not, I have no training in English literature. So if that was, if that was a terrible analysis, please let me know. And I'm apologized to begin with. Uh, I, I've, uh, been reading a little bit more in Hemingway. I'm going to, um, I'm planning to go to Spain uh, this August. And so I've picked back up The Sun Also Rises and I've also picked back up uh, Death in the Afternoon. So it's made for very enjoyable reading. Um, I, like I said, you can find, uh, you can find the, uh, the story Soldier's Home online. Um, you can also find it in, uh, I think that there's still copies of, uh, of uh, uh, in our time available. Uh, I bought my copy when I was in uh, when I was at Shakespeare Company, Shakespeare and Company in Paris, which is the very famous English language bookstore. Um, for this episode, I was actually reading it out of uh, Scribner's uh, The Short Stories of Ernest Hemingway, the Hemingway Library edition. The reason I got this edition is because it's got um, after the end of the story, it's got drafts of the earlier stories. Uh, so you can see the earlier draft of A Soldier's Home where Hemingway would go in and change certain words or take out certain phrases. Most of it's uh, pretty pretty simple and, you know, just changing certain adjectives with other adjectives. But, but you know, it's still kind of cool to go see the mind of the author. And so with that, uh, I again, I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'm excited to see everybody next week. And uh, I hope everybody's going to have a great week. Uh, I would uh, per- like to also give a nice shout out to my good friend, Joseph Rulakati, for helping me with the research for uh, this episode. And uh, again, if you have any question, comments, or concerns, or ideas, feel free to email them to me at shitakareview at gmail.com. The spelling's in the show notes. And uh, we'll see everybody next week. And with that, this is the America of America podcast, and I'm Will Milam. Thanks for listening.